Have you ever had one of those moments where you're trying to teach a child how to swing on the swings or how to swim or how to ride a bike? And they just are so tentative. They don't really go for it. And you assure them that you're going to be right there next to them. You're going to be in the water with them. You'll be standing right beside them. You'll be holding on to the bike seat. But it just doesn't work. They refuse to pedal. In fact, they kind of wrap their arms around you. They don't want to move. They just want to stay right there. It's not that they don't trust you to be there. It's just that they know the pavement hurts. The ground is hard. The waters look a little dangerous. It's not that they don't trust you. It's just in the moment, fear wins. And that happens to all of us, doesn't it? We never really quite grow past that. And so... Right now, you maybe you have allergies, and it's the same allergies you've had your whole life, and they just kind of flare up again, the same sniffles, the same cough, but this time the cough is different. This time the sniffles are different because your mind is wondering, could it be that virus? See, our imaginations can get the best of us, and sometimes just fear wins. Sometimes it's real-life events and circumstances that we know are happening, but the circumstances, they seem so big. The storm is so real and fear wins. Well, we're entering a new series called No Fear, where we look at how can we trust Jesus in times of turbulence. Some of you have submitted some, some of your fears to us that you'd like us to address, and I'll try to touch on some of these over the next few weeks. But this week, we're looking at the fear of isolation, where we just feel alone and we just be, are afraid of being alone. And what does this look like? You know, I tell you all the time, one of the most common commands in the Bible is the command, don't be afraid, don't fear. And every time that command shows up, whether it's Jesus saying it, whether it's the angels, whether it's God, whether it's somebody saying don't be afraid, almost every time it happens, it's too late. The people are already afraid. The person's already afraid. It's too late. See, the command is always given as a corrective because God understands that we don't make good decisions when we're afraid. That in the midst of panic, in the midst of fear, we tend to overreact. We tend to not think rightly and we make poor decisions. So that command comes, don't be afraid. But sometimes the storms in life are so big. They're so real. They hit so close to home. How do you do that? Well, that's one of the questions we're going to try to answer this week. Let's go ahead and get started. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. It's an account of faith and fear. It's a rough storm. And sometimes when the storms are the roughest, we can fear that we face them all alone. And so there's this fear of isolation, that, of being alone that just kind of grabs us. And it grabs all of us at one time or another in one way or another. Sure, we know that the whole world is dealing with this pandemic, but sometimes we feel like the circumstances that hit us, well, they're unique, they're different, and we face them alone. And this fear of being alone, it, it can hit in a lot of different ways. You can fear that you're going to be the only Christ follower at your school, the only Christ follower at your work, the only Christ follower in your neighborhood. You can fear that you're going to grow up and just be left alone. You can feel that you're going to be single forever and just be left alone. There's all these fears of being alone, a fear of going through the storm alone. Well, Peter knows what that's like. I want you to check it out. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. 
Matthew writes, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was already a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. What an incredible day it had been. If, if you remember right before this, the feeding of the 5,000 occurs. You remember that story, don't you? There's 5,000 men plus their families. They follow Jesus. They want to hear Jesus teaching. And then they start getting hungry. They have nothing to eat. The only thing they can find is just a little boy sack lunch. And Jesus takes that lunch and he feeds the 5,000 men and all of their families. And he includes the disciples in this feeding. He includes them in this miracle. He has the people sit down and he gives the food to the disciples. And then the disciples are the ones who disperse it to the people. So what an exciting day it had been for the disciples. And as Matthew records this account for us, as he writes this story for us, uh, Matthew's always trying to appeal to a Jewish audience. And so he's presenting Jesus as this great Davidic king and, and the new Moses. And so when the Israelites, when the Jews, when they're hearing this, when they're reading this from Matthew's gospel, what echoes in their mind is going to be how God back in the Old Testament would provide manna from heaven as Moses is leading the Hebrews through the wilderness. And now here's Jesus. It's not manna from heaven. Now it's this time. It's, it's fish and it's bread from just a little boy's lunch. And where there was nothing, where there was emptiness, all of a sudden now there was fullness overflowing. There's leftovers. There's a feast. See, when there is nothing, Jesus can come in to that empty place. And now it's overflowing. There's, there's too much. And so the disciples, they witness all of that. More than that, they're a part of it. They get to experience this miracle, the excitement of it all, the amazement. This has just happened. They saw this incredible thing. And then Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you need to get into the boat. You need to go to the other side of the lake. And without even thinking, they've just seen Jesus do this incredible miracle. So what do they do? They hop in the boat and they go, they take off. They're going to the other side of the lake. This is incredible. You just don't think in a moment like that. Whatever Jesus says, yeah, you're going to do. You don't look at the skies. You don't see what the weather's doing. You just, you just don't even think about that. Yet these guys were fishermen their whole lives, most of them. But they just don't think. They just grab and get into the boat and they go. And Jesus, he dismisses the crowd and he goes off by himself to pray. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus prays? I mean, how many times in just in significant moments of Jesus' life that he takes the time to pray? A substantial amount of, of, of prayer 
is recorded throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. The night before he picks the disciples, he spends the night in prayer. He he prayed just before he fed the 5,000. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed before many of his healings. I mean, we think about it last week. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before everything that awaited him. And how he prayed in front of Cleopas and his friend. And it was at that moment when he was praying that they recognized and they said, this is Jesus. Because the way Jesus prayed, and he prayed so often. And on this occasion, again, we read that Jesus is praying. You see, Jesus had this habit to prepare in prayer. That whenever important things were happening, even when everyday ordinary things were happening, Jesus had this habit to prepare in prayer. I want you to hold on to that for a moment. The disciples, they're excited. They just jump in. They don't think. They don't ask Jesus any questions. And yeah, Jesus gives a command. You just do it. I mean, that's the right thing to do. That's the obedient thing to do. And that's what they do. They get into the boat and they go. They go across the lake. A lake many of these guys had fished their whole lives. They'd grown up on that lake. I mean, we think as many as nine of the disciples could have been fishermen. These guys were used to this lake. They'd grown up on this lake. They, they've made their livelihoods from this lake. They've been there a long time. They knew how to handle the boat. They knew what to do on the lake. They could read the waters. They could, they could read the weather. They, they knew what was going on. They, they had all the skills that was necessary to keep them alive. I mean, this was a lake they had crossed hundreds of times before. They, they could do this in their sleep. Well, except this time was different. The Sea of Galilee, it is surrounded by steep cliffs. And when the wind is blowing hard and it comes through the cracks and the crevices in those cliffs, it can create a furious storm on the Sea of Galilee in just a matter of mere minutes. And so that's really, we get the idea that that's what's happened here. That that these guys, they're just caught in a storm. And maybe they didn't see it coming. Maybe they didn't look up in the skies. Maybe they just heard Jesus, hey, get in the boat. So they just go, I, I don't know. But they're in the boat and this furious storm erupts. And for every wave that they would row past, it just felt like the wind beat them back and they were not moving anywhere. They're just stuck, not making any progress. Now, the fishing boats in those days, they weren't really all that big. They were made and built really only to hold about six to eight people. And so 12 guys have all crowded into this boat. It's a bit overcrowded. I mean, you can feel the moment, can't you? The waves crashing in, perhaps taking on water. It's the middle of the night, the fourth watch of the night. That means it's 3 a.m. And so it's dark, it's cloudy, it's windy, it's rainy. You can hear the panic. You can feel the yelling. These guys are exhausted. I mean, you can imagine the barking out orders just the fear they are terrified these fishermen knew this they were in trouble how are they going to survive this this was going to be difficult they didn't know if they were going to make it out of this one alive this was dangerous and then right there at 3 a.m with the wind blowing and howling and the water crashing into the boat and the the waves so high and they're not moving anywhere and these guys are exhausted and tired from a night of rowing and not moving all of a sudden they see something walking on the water now 
you need to know, in those days, there were all kinds of like old fisherman tales about the Sea of Galilee. There were stories of how boats had capsized and the fishermen kind of sank to the bottom of the sea and they waited there for other fishermen when they were in trouble and having difficulty with their boat. And then those fishermen who lived at the bottom of the sea, that they would jump up out of the sea and just snatch the people living in the boat, the people on the boat. And we laugh at stories like that because we don't believe in ghosts. We know it's all just kind of make-believe and kind of silly. Well, the disciples, they didn't believe in ghosts either. But when it's dark outside, when it's rainy, when you're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night, and the wind is howling and the waves are crashing, and you see somebody walking on the water... Well, then all of a sudden you believe in ghosts. You see, your imagination can get the best of you and you can believe things that you don't ordinarily believe. It's the middle of the night. You've been up late. You've been talking, maybe sharing a scary story or something, and a door slams. Oh, you don't believe your house is haunted, but in that moment you kind of wonder, don't you? See, that's what happened to these guys, and all of a sudden it's a ghost. Your imagination, it can play all kinds of tricks on you, and now there's a ghost coming to get them. And then they hear Jesus' voice, don't be afraid. Too late. <laughs> They're already afraid, right? It's a corrective because God knows that in the midst of panic, in the midst of fear, we tend to make poor choices. And so he tells them, don't be afraid. It's me. Take heart, guys. It's me. It's Jesus. You can trust me. I'm coming to get you. It's going to be all right. And Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He says, don't give me an option about it, Jesus. I need, I need a command here. I need to know this is what I have to do, and then I will trust you. And Jesus responds with one simple word, come. And Peter, I mean, it's incredible. In faith, he steps out of the boat. He's trusting that this figure on the water in the midst of this storm, that it's Jesus. And he gets out of the boat in the middle of a lake. Now, anytime Peter had gotten out of the boat in the middle of a lake, Anytime you or I have gotten out of the boat in the middle of the lake, it's always to go swimming. You never get out of the boat in the middle of the lake to walk on the water. Nobody does that. But that's what Peter does here. He gets out of the boat not to swim, but to walk on the water in the midst of a furious storm and to walk toward Jesus. You see, this is incredible faith. I mean, I don't know how many steps he got. I don't know if he just got a couple in, if he got five, if he got ten. Don't know how far he made it. But he got out of the boat. He took a few steps. And as he's walking, he sees the wind and the panic and the fear it sets in. And you might be saying, but you can't see the wind. Oh, when it's that late at night and it's that windy and it's moving like this and it's going crazy this way and that way. Oh, well, then you can see the wind. Then you can see a lot of things. You see ghosts. You see all kinds of stuff at a night like that. You can see the wind. I mean, we just had a good wind earlier this week. Imagine sustained gusts on a stormy sea in the middle of the night. Yeah, you can see the wind. Peter, he saw the wind and he got afraid. And beginning to sink, he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, we know this. We know how water works. That if you try to stand on water, you don't just begin to sink. I mean, you go all the way under. You, you, you don't last any time at all. You go all the way under. You just go down. But here in the Greek, it's almost as if 
Jesus, or Peter is easing into the water, just slowly descending into the water, and he knows he's going down, and there's this time, and he's crying out, Lord, save me. And we think that the next line ought to read, well, then Jesus like sprinted over and grabbed Peter before he sank, that he ran over right to him and, and picked him up. But it doesn't say that. Did, did you catch what it says? It says that Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. Immediately, Jesus just reached out his hand and grabbed him. You see, Peter was in an arm's length of Jesus. He was within reach of Jesus. But in the storm, he didn't know it. In the storm of life, he didn't know that Jesus was right there. He saw the wind. And so Jesus asked Peter, Peter, why did you doubt? And you can imagine what Peter must have been thinking. Well, I mean, I saw the waves. They're crashing over me. They're huge. And and the wind, I mean, you can just see the wind. And it's blowing this way and that way. It's not that I didn't believe you, Jesus. It's just he believed the storm more. He believed the storm was bigger. He believed that the problems and everything was bigger. In the moment, what happened? Fear won. That's what happens to us, right? We get in the moment and fear wins. It's not that we don't believe Jesus. It's just that sometimes in the moment, fear gets the best of us. Fear wins. And when you feel like your life is getting tossed in a storm and you're getting blown about this way and that way on just the rough seas of life and you feel alone, you feel isolated, you're out there on the water. Yeah, Jesus is somewhere, the boat is somewhere, but you can't seem to see it. You feel like you're in it alone, that you're isolated. So you panic. And fear never leads us to make a good decision. It always leads us to react impulsively and to overreact, to get defensive, to do whatever. It leads to poor decisions. And this is why this command, don't be afraid, don't fear. It's why it comes up again and again and again. Because when fear wins, we don't react well. We don't respond well. We don't think Rightly, when we fear, we panic and we make decisions because we think we've got to figure it out on our own. We, we think we've got to get through and navigate this storm on our own. And so we feel isolated. We feel alone. The storms of life come crashing in and we think we're sinking and we've got to make the best of it. So. Why do we feel isolated? Why does this happen? Why does fear tend to get the best of us? Well, because we don't always live in the presence of Jesus. That's it. We, we, We get in the storm and we can't seem to locate where Jesus is because we haven't lived in the daily presence of Jesus during the course of our lives. And so in the storm, the storm hits. And where is Jesus now? He's the first person we want to find. Lord, save me. You got, you got to help, Jesus. Everything's going crazy in my life, Jesus. Where are you? Where are you working? I can't seem to locate you. I feel alone. I feel isolated. Where are you, Jesus? It's because we haven't taken the time to practice, to live in the presence of Jesus. We don't begin our days with Jesus. We don't, we don't begin our days just praying and, and asking God for help for the day to come. We don't spend our time studying God's word. We don't spend our time in obedience and living on mission and living the Jesus life that he's called us to live. And when we don't practice the presence of Jesus in, in the moment of the storm, we panic. 
See, we go through life, and there's so much ordinary things that happen in life. We know our schedules. We know we, we got to get done that day. And we tend to think that I can do it. I mean, I got this. I can handle that. I go to work. I do my job. Go home. Do the things that I've got to do. I can handle that. I can do this. I don't need Jesus for that, really. I mean, I know. And then the storm hits. <laughs> and then we start looking. God, where are you? I can't seem to locate you. I can't seem to find you. You know, this is the second time that the disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus. It's the second time. It's a, it's a sea that they'd grown up on their whole lives. And now, two times in the span, in the short span of time with Jesus, they find themselves on the Sea of Galilee thinking they're going to die. Why does that happen? Why do you think Jesus did that? To teach them that even in the everyday moments of life, the, thing, the stuff that you think you can do in your sleep, that you need Jesus even then. That even these things, these routine things, yeah, I know how to, I know how to operate a boat. I know how to get to the other side of the lake. I can, I've done this a million times, Jesus. I don't need your help for that. And Jesus says, oh yeah, you do. Because one day there's going to be a storm that comes. One day everything is going to be turned upside down and if you haven't practiced the presence of Jesus in the ordinary every day of life, then when the storm hits, you feel like you're going through it alone, that you're isolated and you're looking all over. Where is Jesus? I can't seem to locate him when he's just within an arm's reach. Do you remember Jesus before he went out on the water that night, before he fed the 5,000, before he was baptized, all these things, all these important moments of his life? What did he do in the ordinary every? Another reason why we fear isolation and we fear being alone is disobedience. You see, we're called to make disciples, to live on mission, to be God's representatives. And when we do that, this exciting thing occurs. I mean, we invest into the ordinary, everyday avenues of life with ordinary, everyday people. And they're empty. And we get to bring this fullness. And we get to teach them what it looks like to live the Jesus life. And we equip them to then go and make disciples. And as you're doing that, you know Jesus is with you. Because you know there's no way I could do this on my own. I mean, look at how this person has changed. Look what's happened. Look at what I'm saying. I can't believe it. Look how I'm impacting people. And you know there's no way I can do that apart from the presence of Jesus. So this excitement takes place. This enthusiasm happens. And you know that you have this closeness with Jesus there. That he's with you to guide you along the way. But see, sometimes we kind of distort the Christian life and we kind of water it down. And it's disobedience, really. I mean, we water it down to, yeah, maybe you have a time of prayer. Maybe you have a time of studying your Bible. Maybe you come to the church building. But when you neglect the mission that Jesus has given you, when, when you live in a disobedience thinking that you're okay, well, then the storm comes. And then, well, where's Jesus? I haven't 
known this presence of him, with him as I've gone and I've interacted with people and I've made all these disciples. And so then the storm hits and you're still kind of trying to navigate where is he? I can't seem to locate him because you've lived in disobedience. You've changed it. You, you've made uh, a lifestyle with Jesus and you've turned it into just religion, just uh, tradition, just ordinary living. When Jesus has called us to this extraordinary life of meeting people and discipling them and causing them to look like Jesus. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he gave the disciples the food to go and feed the thousands of people. How long do you think that would have taken? Over 5,000 men and then all their families? I mean, how many people would that have been? And how, how long would it have taken 12 men to serve a crowd like that? It must have been incredible. And we don't know exactly how it was done, but it says they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So you can imagine that perhaps Jesus breaks the bread, breaks the fish, and puts it into these baskets, gives it to the disciples, and then they're going out and they're feeding the 5,000 plus all the family members. And every time that they stick their hand in that basket, and feed the next person, and feed the next person, and feed the next person. Don't you think they have to be wondering, when is this going to run out? When is Jesus not going to have enough? But after they do it long enough, maybe they begin to understand, hey, Jesus has everything I need for life and ministry. How many times do you have to put your hand in the basket until you realize he can get me through this? How many times do you have to put your hand in the basket until you realize Jesus can use me to make disciples. How many times do you have to put your hand in the basket to realize he has everything you need for life and ministry? Well, evidently for the disciples, it needed to be at least one more time because they find themselves in a storm. And then what happens? They're terrified. Fear sets in. Could Jesus get them out of this? Sure, they believe that. But in the moment fear wins, they start seeing ghosts. It's, it's what happens to all of us. Fear can get the best of us. And so God, he's trying to help us understand, I've got everything you need. And when you live a life in close proximity with Jesus, doing the mission that he's called you to do in the ordinary everyday life, well, then when the storms hit, you know, he's going to be there. He's going to see you through. It's going to be okay. But what happens to us? Oh, do we believe Jesus can feed the 5,000? Oh, yeah, we believe that. Do we believe Jesus can walk on water? Yeah, we believe that. Do we believe Jesus could raise the dead? Yeah, we believe that. Do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yeah, we believe that. We believe all these miracles, all these unbelievable things. Do you believe that Jesus can get you through the storm that you're facing right now? Well, I don't know. You see how fear works? It creates this doubt. Can fear, can Jesus come in and help your marriage? Well, I don't know. Could he restore the sight of the blind man? Yeah, I believe that. You see how it works sometimes? We believe the accounts of the scripture, but sometimes in our own life, fear wins. And so, does Jesus really have an answer when everything's not all black and white? Does Jesus really know what to do in these difficult circumstances when it seems as like there's no good answer? I mean, does Jesus know what it's like to do my job, to do what I do, to live in my neighborhood, to parent my kids, to love my spouse? Does he get all that? <laughs> See, sometimes we doubt and then we feel like we're alone in the storm and that we've got to 
figure it out on our, by ourselves, that we've got to try to navigate these waters alone. It's not that we don't believe Jesus. It's just that sometimes we believe the storms more. We trust our experience more. We trust our wisdom more. It's not that we don't believe Jesus. It's just sometimes fear wins and the storm seems bigger. It's interesting in Matthew's gospel to a world that's isolated and alone. When Jesus is presented by the angel and it's told, hey, the birth of Jesus is coming. You know what the angel said? The angel said that he will be given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That Jesus really is going to be with his people. That it won't be God and us anymore. It really will be God with us. And then do you remember at the end of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus gives this great commission and he tells us, this is what you're to be about. You're to be about going and making disciples. And then he gives them this promise. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. See, the bookends of Matthew's gospel, they promise us this, that Jesus will always be with us. But sometimes in the midst of a storm, even when you're only an arm's reach away from Jesus, you can't seem to locate him. You can't seem to find him. It's what happened to Peter. Did he believe Jesus was there? Yeah, he knew he was there somewhere. But in the storm, even though Jesus is only an arm's length away, the waves seem bigger. The storms seem bigger. Sometimes the same thing happens to us. We're in the midst of a storm. Jesus is right there with us just as he promised. But we see the waves. We see the wind. We see the pain. We see everything going on in our lives. And it's rough. And then we feel alone. And we're looking for Jesus, but we can't seem to find him. Know this. He's right there with you. The good news of the gospel is this. It's not that we have to find Jesus. It's that God, through the Son, Jesus Christ, has found us. He's come to us in the storm. He's found us in the storm. He's reached out his hand, and he's rescued us. So, whatever you're going through, whatever fear, this fear of being alone because of the storms that are going on in your life, you can trust this, that Jesus is right there with you. No matter how big the storm is, no matter how difficult life may get, Jesus is right there with you. If we practice that in the ordinary, everyday spheres of life, well, when the storm hits, it gets a whole lot easier to know right where Jesus is. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in every storm of life, you're right there with us. So God, help us to take this message of a God who rescues, of a God who is with us to our world. Help us to teach others well what it means to follow you in the midst of a storm. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.